0: Chucksters and Chuckettes, this is Chuck Today, a wintry November day as we record this episode of Chucked, in which we dialogue about things superfluous and things eternal. And that's the unique combination of Chucked. You may have um, listening content that includes just about anything. And uh, today we in the middle of football season basketball season just started and it is national impeachment day and so what a what a what a fun time to be alive I wonder if that'll stick though yeah you know yeah
1: it's really the way things
0: stick around that are
1: uh, Twitter originated they, mm-hmm. you know people always remember this this day one year ago I wonder if it will wonder yeah. if it will
0: stick yeah who knows it's a interesting times we're living in how are you today austin i'm good i'm good the the door to your office is open and that always weirds me out when we're doing this i know this podcast i know me too (laughs) but it's (laughs) it's our our, our heat is off in in the building it's it's real inconsistent and so i was joking to death when the door was closed this morning uh we, we we have some Heating issues. So, for example, Sunday morning, Saul's office was literally 104 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> literally, it 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 was. I don't. What's a sauna? Like 130? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was sauna like.
1: Uh, my a, office here is usually about. It's usually at a, at a mild 49 degrees. Yeah. You know, in the winter time, and then for whatever reason, it's blazing hot in the summer. There's no air. There's no air control in my office. Um Mine used and to be that way, and now it's yeah. the opposite. But so today, these, over this whole week with this these heating problems here, my office feels great. Mm, cool. It feels really
0: warm. And it's we intense. appreciate Joe Laramore and what the team does because it is it's a big, complicated. Whatever he's building. doing this week, keep
1: doing what he's doing because I'm I'm comfortable with okay, it. Okay, good, good. Uh, very
0: cold out, single digits today. I think it was this morning. Yeah. Uh, eight
1: degrees when I finished my run. Seriously, <laughs> it was. You know, but today there was no wind chill today, and that's the thing that there are times when it's 25 degrees out. And you can't run because the chill is just too bad. Mm. Today it really wasn't terrible. Did your eyes uh, burn? They were frozen. My, my eyelashes were frozen, and um, my face mask uh, cover was, you know, was frosted and frozen. And by the end, and my Would hands. Would you rather run like, an eight or eighty-eight? Eighty-eight, absolutely. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, gets, I get. you mean, that gets you. You burn incredible m- about incredible more amount of calories in the cold. Cause your body has Mm -hmm. to humidify the air that comes in it to use the oxygen. So you burn a lot of calories in the cold as opposed to the the heat. But I just love the sweat and I love the, um, the, I don't know what it is. with the blood cells that happens in the heat that makes you more fit and able to produce, uh, to to use oxygen more. Your VO two max goes up in the heat. And so you become a faster runner in the heat.
0: And, um, I was talking, I met yesterday with my friend, Brooke cups. He's a head basketball coach at Centerville. Great coach. And, He says he does hot yoga and he said it's amazing how you feel after that you know because the Mm -hmm. room is just blazing hot as you're Mm -hmm. doing this motion and obviously the centrality of Mm -hmm. yoga and uh, he says the same thing it was just Mm -hmm. amazing how you feel you know i you know i equally like yesterday's run when the first snow that was a that was a fun yeah
1: like you know it was dark because i'm always running when it's pitch black out and you can't see the hand in front of your face so when it's there's snow on the ground it's great because it's lit up, and it's and actually you're actually yeah. running in the light, and you feel like it's you know it's earth that you're running it through. And do you do you fear black ice in that situation? Oh or? yeah, there there are plenty of runs that I'll have that um, eventually where it's just like you know I need to turn around. I can't. It's too dark. I can't yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, and that point I'll you know can transition to the treadmill for a month or two. But um, but right now it's generally you know there's the the roads are pretty are fine. Yeah. They're they're. They've been salted enough, and um, this time of year, there's just the, the the earth isn't just it's just not cold enough yet to really even from these last few days maintain ice. So I, I it's it's fine. Um, but yesterday was fun, and, um, and and you know today I think eight degrees. It's it was just one of those. I didn't really become a better runner today, but it was one of those runs that you just do because it just makes you just to just to conquer the day a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it just. I just wasn't. Great. There was every re- all the reasons not to run this morning, and the fact that I just went out and did it um, was just. A, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a good, yeah.
0: a good. I, run. I, I buffet my body daily. Paul said, "Not mm-hmm. I buffet my body daily. I buffet my body daily." <laughs> I do that too. Yeah, I do that too. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, as you know, I've been sidelined with a knee injury and got a cortisone shot last Wednesday. And it was really sore for a few days. It was feeling great now. But nothing will make you appreciate running, like, not being able to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, when you're I, – I, I've been really, yeah, struggling with it. It's either meniscus or arthritis. And, um, yeah, but just, man, do I miss it. And mm-hmm. I, of course, don't run the volume you do naturally. But – I miss it cuz there's nothing that conditions you like running does, man. Mm-hmm. And I'm around all these student athletes who are runners. So one they're, just, they're they're running fools. One runner who's guy. a
1: writer and she's a New York Times writer but she's a runner, prestigious runner too. She says that running is the great f you to life or to death. It is oh. it's life's great f you to death. Huh. And it is. You know, it's just it's just kind yeah. of this this pronouncement of being alive. is yeah. just
0: it's, it's the greatest training around. for life. I think metaphorically there's just nothing like running that trains you mm-hmm. to build your hope muscle. Mm-hmm. We've been talking in Player's Box about hope is not an emotion. It's a way of thinking. And everything you do every day when you when you say to yourself, you know, I've only done 10 push-ups most of the time. But today I'm going to do 11. You're building your hope muscle. Because mm-hmm. hope is not I wish. Hope is I can. I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can do this. I got this. And uh, so running is that ultimate, I think, just builds hope muscle mm-hmm. because you're not overcoming your body when you run. You're overcoming your brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as Dean Karnazes said so well, 60% is where you're at when your body wants to quit, your brain wants to quit. You're only at 60% of your body's capacity, the marathoner. So what's on your mind today? What, well, speaking of impeachment day, do you
1: still, after the Sunday's win, are you still wanting to impeach Freddie Kitchens?
0: I think they're I think they're winning in spite of a rookie head coach, you know. And I want him to succeed because I like him, but he's got a long way to go. He's just so he's just so overwhelmed. You, mm-hmm. know? Um, you think the contrast and Bill Belichick's over there making notes on pages while he's coaching, and Freddie's got his head buried in the play sheet, and he's just not coaching the game. <laughs> well, the defense is out there. <laughs> yeah, it's just the game, and, you know, mm. it's just so fast for him. And, but, um, I mean, I think they're the worst coach team in the NFL, and that doesn't mean I'm not a Freddie fan. It's just they're the worst coach teaching of any team in the NFL. I don't see a worse coach team. So, sometimes it's harder to coach talent than non-talent. Mm-hmm. Now, I say this. I, I contend I think they're overrated with their talent because I think there are parts to talent that are not physical. Mm-hmm. Remember, I had this book, as you know, the, when I was a kid. It's literally I, – I, I was looking at it yesterday on the shelves in the basement and it fell apart because, I, I mean, as a kid, I read this book so much called Soft Touch and just had all these sayings about performance. I think it's probably where my sports psychology mm-hmm. uh, journey began. But uh, I remember this quote about J- hustle and it said, Hustle – is an hustle is not adjacent to a talent. Hustle is an essential ingredient of talent. Hustle is perpetual motion. Hustle is John Havlicek, who's a, the late former great basketball player for Ohio State and Boston Celtics, and and I think the Browns lack that part of hustle. I do. I think they that intrinsic, hard nosed, second mile. You mm-hmm. know, so I think their talent is actually overrated when it comes to. There's an intrinsic part of football talent that makes a football player that's not 4 4340 desperate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah. just people who love football,
1: as we were talking about the other day, like, there's a like that O 16 team was was probably probably the best winless team the NFL could ever produce. As far as like they played really hard, and they were in a lot of games at 0 16. I mean, they were terrible. They were terribly coached, all that. But they were in a lot of games, lost by a lot of field goals, missed field goals, or made field goals. Um, but there was a there was a hustle still to that team. Yeah, they they were doing the best they could. They just had they were just too young, and they were just they had no ta- they had no other talent other than just kind of being scrappy. And that was that was yeah. It. And
0: I think conversely to the this Brown, team doesn't I have. I think that. the Patriots have the kind of hustle I'm talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And that hustle bonds. Chemical agents, you know it it's it just it's a fascinating thing, and um it's too bad so, that
1: we have such a short week. I was thinking today there's there's no time to to celebrate that
0: that one win because the oh, game tomorrow. Gosh. <laughs> as you know as a faithful listener, especially on mondays to ninety two three the fan oh everybody you you just swore they got beat. Come on, man, you won a game the nFL I don't care if you beat. I don't care who you beat. If you, you beat a win a game, oh Jeez. man, you beat a six and a well coached six and two team, a team that has a lot of what they don't have. Hmm. I, I was very impressed. As no I quarterback told you. has had
1: that game against the Bills this year. No, pass right. defense. All right,
0: you know, the last three games, the three teams that Baker's played are really good defensive teams. Mm-hmm. And, and he's and had a game. Good He's got good, good games. games. Yeah, and but you know the 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 Bills. Um, that, I, I told you, I said, I was more impressed with this than the Baltimore win because the Baltimore win was their flash and dash on display. This was – they didn't deserve to win. Mm-hmm. And they found a way. That, to me, that's the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what turns you from 6-10 and 10 to 8-8, eight and eight, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so, steal a couple of those ones. Yeah, exactly. They, they find ways to give those away. Mm-hmm. What do you expect out of tomorrow? Well, I was I, I I had an interesting insight listening today. So on Wednesdays on the fan in the morning they go around the AFC cent, uh, North. Yeah, and to you know, like Mo Ager and in Cincinnati and the, the Pittsburgh guy said you know he goes if on a, on a short week you don't have time to put a new game plan in that favors the Browns because if the Steelers do what they did Sunday the the Browns have the advantage. In other words, with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. They don't have time to put a lot of new stuff in. The Browns are going to eat that up. Hmm. So I thought that was a good idea. They I played Sunday that. night. Yeah, they, they did. They played Sunday yeah, night. Yeah, they, they
1: were done three hours later. The Browns coaching staff, however bad they are, they had a whole night
0: yeah, to, to, exactly. uh, ahead exactly. of the Steelers. The Browns to. are in bed. I mean, they, and I, they were talking. Dustin Fox was talking. He said, it matters that you're in bed when they're finishing their game. Yeah, I mean, it makes a difference. So, sure. you know, I think the Browns need every advantage because the Steelers, that's just, I'm so impressed. I mean, they and the Patriots are different than everybody else. And just this is not a good team. Mm-hmm. And they're 5-4, and four, and if the playoffs were today, they'd be in the playoffs. I mean, to me, I just have so much respect for that. <laughs> I know, gosh, I know. And they lost maybe the best receiver and one of the two or three best running backs in the league. You know, and mm. and, I, I, and they have they've been without James Conner for two games. It's it's yeah. just I just that whole team dynamic and leadership and culture. It it's just I I never cease to be fascinated with it. Hmm. And I have a deep, I don't know, as you do too. I just have a deep respect for that kind of culture. Mm-hmm. In organization, so I I'm mean, hopeful that that's the kind of thing that James John Dorsey can build, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I um, think I I you know I think it'll be a close game, and we'll see if the Browns find a way to win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they do, then there's a little buzz starts generating because they got Miami the next week. And they could win that game, and then I think. Miami's won two in a row. <laughs> I know, and I you know, the, but wild. trust me, Miami's looking and going. Hey, we got the Browns next yeah. week. That could and be and a speaking win. Speaking of a team you know? that's playing desperate, I
1: mean, that that yeah. I, mean, I watched a little bit of the last few of them. They, there's a reason they're winning. Those guys are all playing for a job. They they're you know they have pride on the line. They don't you know. So. And then
0: they really are screwing it up by playing Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of Josh Rosen, hmm. because. Ryan Fitzpatrick will win you some games. Well, you don't. You're trying to tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really. If you, if you play, if you when the, play, the Browns tanked, if they you did play that Rosen, well. they did with excellence. you will
1: lose and you will prove that he's not going to be your future quarterback. Yeah,
0: they, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. I'm so, uh, so feels so good to be right every once in a while. But when the Browns and the rumor was that they might draft Josh Rosen, I, I told you, I said, I, I will cease to be a Browns fan if they do that. I will, I, I will, I will give up. Because this is just this guy doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't you know? And boy, whew, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, we've been um, obviously in the middle of football season. Think you know? It's really interesting the cultural dynamics of these teams is part of what fascinates me. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, in light of church culture, in light of American culture, you're always culture trump strategy every every day of the week. Mm-hmm. You know, culture eats strategy for breakfast uh, you don't have the right culture it doesn't matter how brilliant your plays are
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. it's not the jimmies and the joes it's the x's and the o's and uh, uh, you know it's, it, it, it is the jimmies and the joes not the x's and o's but it's it's beyond that even when you have culture man the average jimmies and average joes could just get better mm-hmm. it's the old, the old Yankee pinstripe principle See, mm-hmm. People seem to play better in the pinstripes. That was a real cultural statement. So, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so uh, yeah. So, anything else that's on your mind today of relevance to our listening audience? Yeah, that's it.
1: Uh, as I said to you before, I don't think anyone wants to hear about um, my take on Dominic Team beating Novak Djokovic yeah, <laughs> last night. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only thing else I've I've thought about from the uh, yeah the, the popular world. Yeah. Uh, well,
0: here's you know. So speaking of of uh, you know, so I. What I was thinking of was that we would talk about today and give some listening insight for for our audiences, is that the thing we've been talking about lately is interesting in light of our cultural polls, poles, P O L E S, the the nature of of the the polar um, division in our country and culture and such. And uh, we've been talking about a talk Tim Keller gave a few weeks ago. And I wanted you to speak into this a little bit and wanted to talk about this a little bit where he talked about, you know, how do do you change the world in uh, a postmodern culture, uh, the first post-Christian culture in history. Mm -hmm. Um, We live in a post-Christian culture here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a death culture, a pagan culture. Uh, and he said, you know, he said, interestingly, the right uh, is guilty of the idolatry of nationalism. And so on the far right, you have this worship of nationalism. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the God. Mm-hmm. And then on the left, you have this idolatry of autonomy, just the absolute idolatry of individual rights. And both are inherently flawed, Mm -hmm. uh, closed systems that cannot sustain themselves. And then you have this, you know, a kingdom that is not of this world. And in that talk, something for our listeners to think about that you and I have been pondering a lot lately is the fascination with uh, Professor Larry Hurtado's Belder University, his... Summary of the first church, why did it change the world in his book, Destroyer of the Gods, mm-hmm. which is what the movement of Christianity did. It destroyed the Roman gods. And his summary that is so fascinating in light of our, our, our polar division in this country that is idolatrous at its core, is he said there were five things the early church embodied. First was it was the first multicultural movement in the history of the world. There is no Jew, nor Greek, male, nor female, slave, nor free. You're all one. That, was, that had never happened before. Secondly, it was the initiation of the movement of caring for the poor and the sick. They were devoted to the poor and the sick. And as much as that's indigenous to our culture now, we, we fail to realize that was not Rome, that, mm-hmm. that that started with Christ's movement. Thirdly, they never retaliated. They never retaliate. That set them apart, which both the left and the right totally missed that in our culture. And I will say Christians on the left and the right missed that. And then fourthly, uh, they were unashamedly pro-life. And I don't mean that in a political way. They were They cared for the infants thrown into the ditches. They cared for women who were pregnant, you know, born under sometimes violence to make sure they didn't abort their child. They cared for the dying. So from the cradle to the grave, they were for life, Mm -hmm. which, you know, the incredible hypocrisy of both sides of the argument on that, right? You have the, you know... uh, for the death of infants, and then for the death penalty, which is both sides are way off. Mm-hmm. And then fifthly, they were unashamedly sexual counterculture. They believed that eros, love, was reserved for a man and woman in marriage. And uh, his comment that was interesting is is in light of the fact that you know the first two are very left, right, very mm-hmm. more liberal. The last two are considered by us more conservative. But the in the middle is neither, <laughs> and mm-hmm. my kingdom is not of this world. They really did embody that, and that's how they changed the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, in our era, as you know, we we are trying to be very clear about what what kind of movement will change this world, because it is it does feel like it's going to hell in a handbasket. Mm-hmm a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am of the belief. Which in a theological sense it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, in one sense it's true, right? Yeah, it's until mm. all things are consummated. But uh, I, so, I'd, so it's been, you know, we love to give Chucksters and Chuckettes what's going on in our minds. That sometimes comes to fruition in strategies within our church. But that's certainly one of them right now. I'm just utterly immersed in uh, you know, what, how then shall we live in this era in a very strategic way? Mm-hmm. Middle-class Christianity is disappearing in America because it's not socially beneficial to be a Christian, especially on the coast. Mm-hmm. So it's disappearing. If you want to be a lukewarm, middle-of-the-road Christ follower, you're, it's soon going to, you're going to be very alone mm-hmm. in the next two decades in particular. Mm-hmm. And fascinated, exciting times to be alive, you know? Yeah. When the light goes out in the cave, it's a great time to be shelling and selling flashlights, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So that's where we are. So you're immersed in that right now of the intersection of theology and ecclesiology, mm-hmm. church study. So what are your thoughts? What are your latest thoughts this week on what you've been learning and studying on that?
1: Well, first observation is you do have to make a stand of where you stand, you know. Um, I've always been verbally or silently against um, us using the reverie for celebration of same-sex marriage or any other kind of marriage, and not the and obviously we're not using the, the, the reverie for ceremony, but I've been against um, the celebration because I just just out of the principle of I mean, the, you know don't
0: you just make the stand? There's, there's you can't have both. Um, Interesting. The Babylon Bee, one of their satirical posts this week. Have you seen it? Was church that's just like the world wonders why nobody comes to its church anymore. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, secular culture, we're just like you. Why? Why have you stopped coming to us? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yes, that's that's one. I, and I think you know, in, in my my eschatological humor of, of it is going to hell. Uh, I think. <sighs> For for the listener for the for the Christian I I would say to that, um, ancient monks, in their monasteries would keep an open grave at all times to remind themselves mm. of a principle that, without first the grave there is no resurrection, and Karl Barth once said, um, death is our final baptism in Christ's resurrection, and so, the fact that, things are or if things are all going to a death that is. Christian culture, the church, ethics, Christian ethics, that leads to resurrection ultimately. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we are not progressive in doing the best we can with our time and keeping it alive, but the hope we have is in Christ's resurrection and death is the initiation of resurrection, Mm -hmm. our falling asleep. And our raising in the last day. Not, so that's we're that's, not living
0: in the land of the living, going to the land of the dead. We're living in the land of the dead, going to the land of the living.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something to you know, amidst my humor of the it, this we are this all this is all going to fire. Um, one thing I, I was made aware of. I want to read this book. Who knows when? Is a book by Jared C. Wilson that's coming out, and it is um, the Gospel According to Satan. And it's an indictment not on secular culture, but more so Christian culture, That's especially awesome which is the which is what's burying Christian ethics is Christian culture. Um, it's not the opponent; it's never the opponent. Christ's greatest uh, achievement is not overcoming Rome; it's overcoming his Jews, the you know his own yeah, people. Yeah. Um, and so he has eight planks in this book. The gospel according to Satan, number one, God just wants you to be happy. Number two, you only live once. Number three, you need to live your truth. Number four, your feelings are reality. Number five, your life is what you make it. Number six, you need to let go and let God. Number seven, the cross is not about wrath. Eight, God helps those who help themselves. And that's, in, oh. and, and that's in, you know, the the... Uh, it's it, there is a the, there is a great theology of today that I would say, and th- it is th- it is self theology. It is just the th- theology of self that the, 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 the monotheism is still very much alive today. It's just the 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 one God that we believe in is how we feel, and this is the exact um, philosophy that is, truth it, isn't
0: it, out there; it's in here, mm-hmm. it's in me.
1: And um, yeah, and so what I hear like in Keller's talk is uh, God has been combating this this heretical th- theology for a long time. And it started back with, with Jeremiah to the, the condemnation of what happens when you follow your heart. Um, good things will not come of this. This is why the new covenant in, in Christ starts in the heart. I guess there's a parallel, um, there. And, uh, the last, I think the last thing is, is uh, uh, that, that comes with when I was coincidentally listening to this Keller lecture about, um, Particularly, evangelism in this post-Christian world. Uh, I was listening as I, we discussed, and I've been reading this book by Michael Lawrence. He's a pastor out west, and um, he had a few lectures we listened to. Uh, he talks. He, he did. He was a researcher uh, years back, uh, fellow researcher for someone doing their Ph.D. in evangelism and conversion, particularly conversion. And he had this great quote. Um, i can 't pull it up right now I wish I, wish I would have thought of it um, but it is basically he says how you what you believe happens in a conversion is how is how you will evangelize what you what like what is happening from the spirit to soul to a person. Their intellect and their intuition, their their spirit, what you believe is happening and transpiring is how you will then evangelize, and that was very convicting for me, especially going out to the world as a Christian, going out to the world as a pastor, being involved with people. Um, what do I? How do I? How, how do I articulate? This? How do I teach this? How do I think this? Um, because for me, like. I think I would lean in most to, well, if people can just r- understand the textual veracity of the scriptures, then everyone would just believe. Mm-hmm. And that's just absolutely not the case, mm-hmm. um, as evident for so, us. So Lawrence had done countless research of conversion stories of um, secular cultures and, or, or not, or people who grew up in religious cultures, but then came back to the faith. And um, and so comes this idea that is it the evangelists going into those cultures how they evangelized was what their theology of conversion was right. and ultimately conversion is something that their data found you can't explain when we talked about kanye west recently mm-hmm. what happened how did that happen how did, who was the pastor how do we and that's all fun conversation to have but i don't know what had happened with paul i don't know he was an, he was abnormally born he was ripped from the womb something happened you know, and uh, the scales felt He was he was blind now. He could see, and and there is ultimately something that 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 transcends our method and our theology, from which, as you say, our method flows. And then ultimately, going out into the world as a Christian, evangelizing to the world, there needs to at the beginning and at the end of that evangelism. I think Lauren is, Lawrence is saying, it's out of your hands. Bring bring the spirit into that, the light into that dark, mm-hmm. and whatever happens, happens. Uh, but that's that, and, and so I don't I don't know what, where to go with that other than um, I think in the in the in the the rhetoric of, of of Keller, he's basically as he says, you know, he's you know, you preach to your certainties, not to your doubts. Preach to your convictions on your doubts, and he's not preaching there; he's just sharing challenges and doubts. I think that is a challenge within the the Christian, within the the pastor, within the weekend gathering is um that's something good to consider to think of our our, our methodology of of evangelism Um, how is my understanding of what a conversion is how is that affecting me sharing the gospel going out and and living it speaking it thinking it Um, because it certainly did one over on me in light of listening to keller's talk listening to this listening reflecting on myself thinking of cultural engagement wow that's that's that really makes me think mm-hmm. what do how how do i think so anyway you know if, if you're like me in the in the sense of um if everyone just knew the veracity of of right, first of corinthians 15 yeah. or something i, don't, I you know I, then then they would everyone would just believe that's just not true Yeah, as, as important as the, the veracity of that is so um it, it, it's interesting though that i've read this academic article from this podcast to listen to the new testament review with ian mills and lauren robinson and uh, it's one of the few podcasts I listen to, but it's a great one. And interesting enough to to my conviction and that, that uh, Lauren shared about evangelism and conversion is this whole article was about uh, pagans reading Christian literature and Christian scriptures in the first and second centuries and what proof do we have for that. And ultimately, there's a lot of incidences of pagans reading Christian literature, and there's only like two... Really, accounts of that playing any sort of role in someone's conversion. Um, Tertullian speaks to this. He names one um, conversion. But anyway, so it, you know, so these are these are pagans that can that aren't dealing with. Hey, is this true? Is it not? How's this? How's this interpretation? Yeah. How's this translation? What you know? They're not. Yeah. They don't have any of those problems we face today. And looking at the scriptures and knowing, yeah, this is that person that wrote it. I've heard of him. He wrote this, and this is, and that doesn't really do much for me. It's the, it's the spirit coming through interceding into a pagan culture, mm-hmm. into a culture that is that is opposed to it. And ultimately, I think maybe the final hope we have as Christians is, um, as I said with the Jeremiah, um, God confronting a, um, a Babylonian culture, a secular culture is nothing new to him. I just wrote a paper on Daniel, the historical narrative of Daniel from 1 to 6, Part one of Daniel, not seven to twelve, and um, is amazing tracing this theme of just that whole book is just about God's kingdom, capital K, superior to kingdoms, lowercase k. Mm-hmm. God is king, capital K, you know, over these other gods that have infiltrated kingdoms, and um, Daniel just demonstrates that over and over again. He is, he is uh, a light amidst this. Uh, pagan culture of a pantheon of gods and he is constantly demonstrating the superiority in the in Daniel 1 through 6 um, of God mm-hmm. and how he demonstrate that is a deliverance themes and messianic themes resurrection themes from death the lion so those so it, it is it is very much as you said on my mind and um, and and I think like Keller, we 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 just see some challenges. We I don't know if there's a lot of answers yet. We know the end goal, we know the destination, but I don't know how we get there. But um, we do have hope in that um, this is the business God works in, is um, opposing the kingdoms lowercase k, that are opposed to his kingdom, uh, uppercase k.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I've gone through, I've been in this long enough to go through so many different cultural iterations mm-hmm. and... Changes I've changed. I've had to change so much in methodology that when in, when in doubt, preach clearly and with passion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Declare clearly with passion out of your convictions I believe, therefore I have spoken. And let the chips fall where they may. In the only podcast you'll hear this week in the United States of America that includes the Cleveland Browns and Tertullian, mm-hmm. we ha- wish you a great week and, and wherever you go. Be a light. Preach always, and if necessary, use words. Be ready to give an answer if anyone asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Until next week on Chuck, this is Austin Charles and Charles Braxton.